What's up, everyone? We hope you had a great holiday with your family and friends, and the Top Rope Nation crew is here with a very special Christmas present, especially for you. You hear us talk about Top Rope Nation classics all the time on the show, but if you're not familiar, it is our monthly bonus podcast we've been doing for a couple of years exclusively for Patreon supporters. It's the reason most people sign up for our Patreon page, and quite frankly, it really is some of our best work. For the holidays this year, we are giving you one of our previously released editions of Top Rope Nation Classics in full here on our main feed, free of charge, for the very first time. Sit back and enjoy what our patrons heard when this one was released about 10 months ago. If you like the show and you want more, sign up to become a patron. The link is here in the podcast description. There are 24 editions of Top Rope Nation Classics available on demand the minute you sign up with two brand new episodes coming exclusively to Patreon in January. So this includes deep dives just like the show you are about to hear on everything from WWF, WCW, ECW, and even some classic Memphis wrestling. Plus, patrons also gain access to Top Rope Nation Extra, our weekly bonus podcast. There are 39 episodes of Extra available right now for patrons upon joining up with new shows dropping every single week. All in all, over 60 bonus podcasts from the Top Rope Nation crew available exclusively on Patreon with that number growing every single week. And oh, by the way, if you sign up before December 31st, I am going to be doing a drawing involving the names of every single member on Patreon for a free Top Rope Nation stitched snapback hat. That's right, I did a special order of Top Rope Nation hats a little over a year ago. I have two remaining. These will never be made again. If you saw our vlog we did on All Out Weekend earlier this year, Justin was wearing this particular snapback the entire weekend. You can get one potentially if you join the Patreon page. Like I said, it's going to be a drawing. I'm going to do it on New Year's Eve. And every single Patreon member will be entered for a chance to win. Now enjoy this complete look back at WWF's The Main Event from February 5th, 1988, a show that is still the most watched professional wrestling event in North American history. Back with another edition of Top Rope Nation Classics exclusively here on Patreon. It's Ryan, Justin, and Kyle, and we're breaking down the show, a February show, obviously, since we're in the month of February, that won the vote we had over on the Patreon page for the show you wanted us to do. And we thank you because this is the one we wanted to do. <laughs> it is the uh, February 5th, 1988 edition of the main event, not Saturday night's main event, but the first edition of the main event, the most watched show uh, in North American history. I don't know about worldwide, but for sure North American. So uh, I know I've watched this show now twice getting ready for the pod. We were just talking off air about uh, how much we enjoyed watching it. It's going to be a lot of fun 
Glad to have you with us tonight as we break down a show from um, just over 33 years ago. Kyle Ross, you are ready to go tonight. You have you have strength, you have great notes, and you have scotch in the glass. You ready to do this, my friend? What else more does a man need? Two buddies <laughs> as well. God, this is just going to be an all-timer. I was telling you guys off air, I think Super Brawl 2 is our best edition of Top Rope Nation Classic. Maybe makes sense. We talked about doing it for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, I have very high hopes for this episode to be on that level. I do as well. I have, you know, I always look forward to these, but I'm especially looking forward to this one. Justin Joint, what about you? Uh, Yes, I'm very excited. And and I just want the, uh, the listeners to know that, you know, we're recording this on Zoom. So I have the pleasure of looking at Ryan and Kyle and may I say you are both looking tremendous and that just kind of leads me to one question how much money did you spend on the plastic surgery (laughs) (laughs) my twins in the other room this is not the actual ryan drosty um this is brian drosty so (laughs) and i'm lyle ross yes (laughs) that was a good one justin what'd you come Uh, up with that one two o'clock three o'clock uh, about an hour ago. Okay, there we go. <laughs> All right. So what we what we like to do here to kind of set the stage before we we go back to 1980s, kind of talk about uh, where we were as wrestling fans at the time. We talk about what was going on in the world uh, that week, early February of 1988. And so, you know, for me personally, I was four years old, hadn't quite start, hadn't quite started preschool yet. So. I don't have a lot of memories from 1988 here and there, but uh, I definitely do not remember watching this one live. I may have because I've talked about on classics before that I would always watch wrestling with my dad or, you know, when I was a young kid. So judging by the rating the show did, I think there's a pretty good chance my dad had it on and I might have watched some of it live, but I, I don't remember. But I did see it, you know, years later and I've watched it multiple times on the award winning WWE network now. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't. I was watching wrestling, but I don't have a lot of firm memories of watching wrestling in 1988. I think I was just getting excited to go to preschool. <laughs> Kyle Ross, you were in uh, elementary school, if I'm not mistaken, here in uh, February of, of 88. What was going on with you? Yeah, I was seven years of age. Just started smoking pot for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> right as I took a drink of beer, I'm finishing my I beer. Couldn't oh, have timed that any better. Oh, that God. Is, uh, things is true okay uh, i just said i'm not releasing the video from this pod but i might have just clipped that part right there that's good (laughs) um no i definitely was seven years old and (laughs) the state of my wrestling fandom was really quite high as a matter of fact uh just a month earlier i attended my first ever house show with my uncle uh and aunt uh it was headlined by the honky tonk man and randy savage at the richfield coliseum uh that was not the first time the Richfield Coliseum had held wrestling since the uh, Survivor Series. It was the second time, actually. Um, my guess is I, uh, as someone who could not go to the Survivor Series, my family actually believes in hanging out together on holidays. That's pretty weak <laughs> where I come from, but uh, whatever. I complained a lot, and they took me, uh, and I think I told the story about holding the foam middle finger and flipping off the honky-tonk man. So, um <laughs> Yeah, loved wrestling at this point in time. And we'll, of course, be talking about Honky Tonk Man and Randy Savage here in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Justin Joint, I don't know if you went to any shows uh, during this period or not, because you're 
close to Kyle's age, but I did look this up, and uh, WWF hit our neck of the woods, Waterloo, Iowa, on January 14th, 88. So they were, less than a month before the show, they were in town. And I don't know if you went to that that event or not, but what was going on uh, uh, with you in 1988? That wasn't at the Unidome, was it? No, nope. it was at McElroy. It was headlined. It looks like, you know, this is when they had the A, B, and C tour. I would say, looking at the cards, this was probably the B tour. Uh, the headline match was Bam Bam Bigelow and the One Man Gang. Well, that might have hmm. been the C, because Honky and Savage was the B. <laughs> <laughs> well, the headline, they were also in Clarksburg, West Virginia that night, and that Ooh. had, uh, let's see, the Killer Bees against Nikolai Volkov and uh, Boris Zukov in the main event. So okay, I'm not sure have, which one. <laughs> okay, that may have been waterboarding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the A show was in Seattle that night and it had Honky Tonk and Savage on oh, top. So Hogan must have been uh, taking some time off there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, no, I I was probably... Um, I was aware of wrestling, but not really a diehard fan. Um, and I'd say, in fact, this is my earliest and most vivid memory of professional wrestling. I was aware of it before this, uh, but not only is this my earliest memory, I think this clinched me as a wrestling fan. Um, we'll get into it more later, but I was just jaw to the floor at the end of this show. Yeah. I think, you know, for people growing up in that era, uh, especially like your age group, uh, a little bit older than me, a little bit older than you guys too. I mean, you know, teenagers and, and above, this is certainly something that's probably kind of seared into their memory because so many people watched it a 15.2 nielsen rating in other words uh 15 percent of the public watching the show 33 million viewers we talked about uh, on our main feed last week we had a question sent in about could anything ever like match that modern day and we said no for sure not uh, and we talked about how you know wrestlemania if, if they were aired that on regular nbc maybe it could do around like 10 million viewers but that'd still be like a third of this audience. Um, the other thing that makes that even, you know, the population was less in 1988. So when you're doing 33 million viewers with a smaller population than we have today, it makes it even more impressive than uh, 33 million would be today, to be honest. So, um, Kyle, did you have anything to add on, on the viewership numbers or anything like that? Well, yes. Meltzer would like you to know it was only number 32 in primetime network TV that week. Uh, somebody <laughs> shared with me a link where you could look at the ratings. Yeah. TV drew that week. My God. I mean, granted, people need to understand there was not a lot of options. Yeah. You know, you had your old here, it's three, five, and eight, uh, NBC, ABC, uh, CBS. Uh, the Cosby show. Do you know what the rating was the night before for that program? Take a guess. 45 million. You're actually kind of close. You actually did more. It was 34.2. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I don't know. That might have been how many people watched it, but the rating was 34.2. Oh, wow. Okay. My God. And, you know, 33 years later, Bill Cosby and Hulk Hogan have both been canceled. So <laughs> uh, I looked it up, by the way, that house show wasn't just a month earlier. It was actually the weekend before. I'm on oh, history of WWE.com, oh, wow. the one that I went to. It was yeah. literally the weekend before, January 29th, 1988. And, um, to piggyback off Justin's story about, you know, maybe his earliest memory, this is probably, almost certainly, the only time my mom was ever in front of the television while wrestling was on in her entire life. Not by choice. We only had, like, one TV at the time. And because this was on at, like, 8 o'clock, I, like, you know, threw a fit and demanded the whole family watch it. 
<laughs> and I'm sure she picked up a book and did not pay attention at all and would deny watching this. But she was in the room for the only time in her entire life watching pro wrestling for this. <laughs> wow. Nice. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff around in the fact that, again, this aired in prime time. It wasn't Saturday night's main event aired later in the SNL time slot. This aired at 8 o'clock Eastern on a Friday night on NBC. Uh, the first time of, I believe, five times that uh, WWF aired the main event on Friday night. Uh, of those five, three of them aired live. This was one of them. Uh, the last two did not air live. They were on tape delay. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure for Vince to, to get a, a time slot in primetime was was pretty huge. Um Let's see. What do we want to talk about? Do you want to, do you want to mention this story that Gigi had in the our friend Garrett Gonzalez from Fight Game that he had in the uh, in the Facebook group because there was some spoiling going on around yeah. uh, what was going to happen here. Uh, first off, I just want to say this show was hyped exceptionally well on the weekend television and prime time. You know, you can watch the prime times around this time period on the network right now, and Gorilla will almost shoehorn hyping the show into every discussion. Like, you know, Bobby, he'll say someone's like, well, you know, brain, that's interesting. You mentioned that, by the way, did you know that we've got that big show coming up in Indianapolis, February 5th on NBC, everybody tuned in. So they really hammered it home. Um, and the story that you referenced there that Garrett brought to our attention in the Facebook group, um, this is something that is available in the February 15th, 1988 Wrestling Observer Newsletter. If you're a subscriber uh, to that website, you should have access to this particular issue. It's one of only three issues pre-1991 that are available in the archive. And from that newsletter, there's a very interesting tidbit here. Quote, the result of the main event with Hulk Hogan losing to Andre the Giant, spoiler alert, was pretty well known within wrestling circles to the point where it was so well known, I figured it was a, quote, false plant. Actually, here in the Bay Area, it was hard not to know the result ahead of time, being that several radio stations had already reported the title change starting as early as Monday, and that the San Jose Mercury News ran a story on Friday morning in the front page of the sports section, detailing Andre was going to beat Hogan to set up WrestleMania. The reason all this became public knowledge was Titan, love when it's referred to as Titan, had already sent advertising agencies info on WrestleMania 4 with the slogan, quote, Hogan tries to regain his title. The funny thing is that the folks at Titan weren't concerned at all about this, and I guess in reality, they shouldn't have been, because all the publicity in giving away the finish had to help the ratings. I know Dusty would turn over in his grave over something like this, says Dave. And it should be pointed out, Dusty Rhodes was very much not dead in 1988. <laughs> I was very confused when I read that. <laughs> Dave's writing style in 88 is kind of weird. Like, it's it's not... He, he kind of writes stream of consciousness now, but when you read 88, he is, like, super harsh on this show. He, and I mean, we're, yeah, I'm sure I mean, we'll talk about it as we go through the through the matches and stuff, but, like... Everyone that refers to him as like a New Japan apologist today, it's like back then it's Crockett, obviously, is, you know, he's constantly bashing WWF for Crockett. Yeah, he, and you know, again, if you're honest about it, I don't really care, but no, he he did not like the WWF product at all in this time period. And to be fair, he's kind of gone back, if you read like the back issues he's putting up now from like the early 2000s, he takes much more of an objective take and gives the promotion it's due. And, and he did give them their, you know, begrudgingly, I'd say, their yeah, due here in this sure. issue. But, um, 
yeah, he he did not like the 1980s WWF product at all. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So real quick, going on in the world, uh, first week of February 1988, coming off the 1987 World Series, the previous October, where the Minnesota Twins, my wife would like that, uh, beat the St. Louis Cardinals four games to three. One of the better World Series of that era. Uh, The Twins' first World Series. And uh, then we had in the NFL just five days before this, event super bowl 22 washington over denver 42 to 10 uh the nba finals a few months later the 88 nba finals would see the los angeles lakers defeat the detroit pistons four games to three another seven game series always (laughs) great when the bulls aren't in the nba finals for these things (laughs) that's why kyle likes the 80s shows and uh the the uh, nhl stanley cup the 1988 Stanley Cup later that year will see Edmonton and Wayne Gretzky defeat Boston four games to zero in a sweep. Remember when Canadian teams used to win the Stanley Cup? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the number one song, see if you guys remember this one, Uh-oh. this week in 1988, could have been by Tiffany. Nope. Nope, neither. That's not in my wheelhouse. A few weeks after this, the famous Rick Astley song, Never Gonna Give You Up, that was one number one a few weeks after this show <laughs> and the number one movie you'll know this one because it was in the midst of a nine-week run atop the box office good morning vietnam rest uh, in yes. peace great Robin movie. williams yes so that kind of sets the stage as uh, we get ready to hop in the time machine and go back to friday february 5th 1988 let's do this Send the honky-tonk man on the first bus back to Disgraceland, yeah! Cut right Elvis, one-way ticket, yeah! What a whiner that macho man is! He couldn't keep this belt, he can't keep his woman satisfied. You all saw her fall head over heels over me. <laughs> and he was a lousy tune-up for my guitar. But you know, he's a very lucky man. How so, Jimmy? He's very lucky you don't play the piano! <laughs> I'm Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. And this is the one and only true heavyweight champion of the world, Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan may wear the belt for now, but after tonight, that belt will fit as easily around Andre's waist as the Giant's hands fit around Hogan's neck. (laughs) Hogan, it felt so good. I can't wait to do it again. (laughs) And again. And again. When that big, nasty giant snuck up behind me and put his filthy hands around my neck, I knew I was fighting for my life. Thousands of miles away, Hulkamaniacs couldn't breathe either. That's why tonight, when I step in the ring with Andre the Giant, the thoughts and the prayers of all those Hulkamaniacs that stood with me through the hard times are going to go in the ring with me. And Andre the Giant, with all that on my side, Hulkamania will never die. All right, so we are live at the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, a legendary arena for multiple reasons I think we'll talk about here over the course of the show. And we've got on commentary Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura. What the hell is Jesse Ventura wearing here, Kyle? I don't know. 
And as we'll get to, or maybe I should just mention it now, he sort of alludes to the possibility of the honky talk man raping Miss Elizabeth, <laughs> which I thought was a lot of bounce. Yeah. That, that must have been a note from Vince. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Before they welcomed us to the arena, though, I, I should say that we had, you know, the intro with with the wrestlers. Uh, I was listening a little bit to the Something to Wrestle that Bruce Pritchard did on this a while back. And he, he talked about how those promos at the top of the show, you know, we had Randy Savage, Honky Talk Man, Andre the Giant, and Hogan. He says NBC would help script those promos. So sometimes they would kind of come across a little bit different than what you would usually see on a WWF show because they would they would work in a, more lines that NBC wanted to see. Like, for example, when we get to the, uh, the Honky Tonk promo right before the match backstage with Randy Savage, he gets a ton of Elvis references in. And I a guess that ton. came... Yeah, I think that came from NBC. He would do that occasionally on WWF television, but like not this many. You know, I, I got to say, re-watching this... Uh, what jumped out to me was him calling Mean Gene Green Bean. Yes. And, and anybody who's listened to this podcast knows I am not a honky-tonk man. But in that moment, I was like, wait, am I a honky-tonk man fan? And luckily, I too went back and listened to that Bruce Pritchard podcast and uh, was happy to hear that it was scripted. So I'm back to hating honky-tonk <laughs> man. Yes. And I got my hair slick back. Do 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 do. We got our Hasbros <laughs> out here. We're we got our Honky Talk Man Hasbro's on the, on so, the cam. So I know, uh, Ryan, you said you may not release the video, so perhaps this makes for bad podcasting, but I'll talk about it anyway. Yours has a guitar, mine doesn't. Why is that? Well, my wife was out one night with her friends, and there's like this like vintage toy store out where she was bar hopping. And she's like, hey, they have old wrestling figures. Is there anything you want? And I was like, I don't know, just surprise me. Get me something. And so she comes home with the Honky Talk Man. Talk about a surprise there, Justin, right? Uh, he does not have the guitar. I was like, oh, didn't he come with a guitar? She's like, oh, yeah, that one costs like five bucks more. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Never going to forgive her for that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, what your story needs to be is that yours doesn't have the guitar because he smashed it over Macho Man's head. That's true. Hmm. Yeah. So after Vince and Jesse welcome us, almost immediately then we go to this Hulk Hogan lifting video. I got to say, nothing does give me more strength than the classic Saturday Night's Main Event theme, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yeah, that, that was a great intro. Very I liked nostalgic. it better than Obsession. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about this this lifting video? It's kind of bizarre. I The first time I, w I was re-watching this, my wife walked downstairs, and she's like, what are you watching? <laughs> oh, that's always a tough one, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> He's you screaming always... and, and looking huge, and uh, we've got the Jake the Snake Roberts theme song on in the background. Uh, it's kind of like a play on Rocky, I guess. I uh, from from what Bruce said on something to wrestle, this was filmed in New York City at a gym. Hogan's not wearing like any of the the typical like Hulkamania gear or anything. He's just dressed like he normally would be at the gym. Uh, but overall, it's pretty effective. I think this is pretty cool. Justin, what did you make of this? Yeah, I thought it was really weird. Um, I start, I started <laughs> watching it. Yeah, I started watching. I was like, oh, this is odd. So I, I jumped on my phone and God, I felt like I was on my phone forever. And I looked back up and that fucking thing was still going. <laughs>
Kyle, fact- you, you had in your notes the fact that they were using the Jake Roberts. You wanted to talk about that. Was that a network thing? Or did I, that I actually believe it originally it was because Bruce talked about it on something to wrestle uh, because Conrad brought it up on how it's kind of weird and it'd be something that people would, would complain about today. Like, why are you using another wrestler's song on there? Because I assume Jake was using the song. You know what, time. though? He may not have been. Yeah, because- that's. I bet they watched it on the network, too, where they would have just thrown that song in as a substitute for whatever they used originally. Or, so- or it could have been the first time they used it. and They're just like, let's use it for Jake. Jake, because not everyone had entrance music at this point yet. This was still kind of that gray area where a lot of guys did. Well, and maybe they used that Tiffany song and it was just too expensive to get the rights for it. <laughs> there yes. you go. They, they don't have that Tony Khan money. So, <laughs> yeah. so Bruce isn't always like the most reliable person when it comes to historical facts. But when he was talking about it, he talked about it like Jake was already using it. So I, I don't know for sure. I didn't okay. check that. But he said the reason they used the Jake song. So his memory was they did use it at the time. Okay. Not just for the network. But he just said it was a cool song and it worked with what they were trying to do. So they used it and that was that. But. I don't know. I'd have to fact check that, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to think because, like, he definitely doesn't have entrance music at WrestleMania 3. It's but hard to fact up. check it because sometimes they edit the network footage with the yeah. theme, you know, so it's hard and to so know. I, I actually tried go- um, searching for the original broadcast and just couldn't find it. It was in a pickle. I didn't think it was, like, the biggest thing in the world to talk about. Yeah, but it immediately jumped out to me. I was like, wait, why is he working out the Jake Roberts? Yeah. yeah. It works though. I mean, it, it's it is a good song for the segment as presented. <laughs> and then we go to the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, right? Uh, the honky tonk man, as he would call himself, dude. Got I gotta hair say, slick back. I gotta say, this crowd is like this. The first time I watch it back, uh, this is what I was texting you guys. This crowd is so loud, and I don't know if it's the era, if it's how they mic the crowd. I don't know if you guys took note of that as you're watching it, but like. Throughout the whole show, they react so loud to everything. When this when this match gets going, which wasn't the first match that night, they had matches before they went live on NBC. But I mean, they're ready to go. It, everything just comes across as like really big time. Did you guys notice the crowd sounding a little louder than other shows you've seen from that era? Yeah, I mean, I think that? I think it was the result of a you know a perfect build. I'm sure the live audience uh, knew about it being on network television and i mean hogan andre that's a big freaking deal and heck for you know as much as i hate to give him credit you know honking talk and macho man were in in the midst of a pretty good feud Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sure somebody was probably trying to hype him up like justin said you know hey you're on network tv let you know they do that now on tv let them know how loud you are and how much you love the wwe right Mm -hmm. i'm sure there was a little bit but yeah i mean this crowd was real hot and you know it's it's such a different crowd than today, you know? Yeah. They're, they're, they're just cheering for their favorites. It's not like an appreciation of the match. There's no, you know, beard stroking, you know, taking notes of that nature. It's, look, we want Hulk Hogan to win. We want Randy Savage to win. We're going to cheer for that. That's what we care about. Um, yeah, it, it was a really hot crowd and helped the show for sure. So they go backstage to Honky Tonk Man, and this is where he uses all the Elvis Elvis references. He references the songs Heartbreak Hotel, Love Me Tender, Teddy Bear, In the Ghetto, maybe even more. Those are the ones I jotted down in my notes, but it's like every other line he's, he's referencing something. Um, and then as he walks off, me and Gene kind of looks up at the sky and he says, I hope the real Elvis didn't hear that. <laughs> sure, being a gentleman, I am the Honky Tonk Man. What are going- you saying? What are you saying, man? What I'm saying is this. I've got the title, I've got the belt, and tonight, 
I'm going to get the woman, the lonely woman. Oh, no. And then where are you going to take her, honky? Where, where are you going to take her, honky? I'm going to take her down the lonely street <laughs> to the heartbreak hotel. <laughs> That'd be kidding. <laughs> Don't you worry. I won't be cruel. Because I know she wants me to love her tender. Because I'll be her teddy bear. <laughs> and you know where that hound dog Randy's is going to be? Where is he going to be? In the ghetto. <laughs> oh, Vince, I just hope Elvis, the real Elvis, doesn't hear that. Let's get back to you. Now, do you like Elvis Presley? I had that question. I do. I am a oh. huge Elvis Presley fan. <laughs> As I've talked about on the show, I, I yes. appear once in a while on the TCB cast, which is a great uh, kind of historical music podcast about Elvis. And uh, we're going to talk about Market Square Arena here in a second. But uh, I grew up a huge Elvis fan. So because of that, I never really liked the Honky Tonk Man uh, <laughs> because he was just it seemed like, you know, I never really liked Elvis impersonators. Uh, even even to this day, I don't really get the appeal. It's like if I want to listen to Elvis or watch Elvis, I'll watch the real thing. There's footage of him. I don't need to see like some guy that looks doesn't look anything like him and that can't sing pretending to be Elvis. I never really got that. And so Honky Tonk, you know, that's he's doing the Elvis imitator gimmick. So I didn't like him a lot as a kid. And I, I know, Justin, you've talked about you weren't the biggest Honky Tonk man fan either. Um, you referenced that a minute ago. I mean, Why didn't you like him? I I hated the gimmick. Yeah, I, the name, the look, uh, I guess the theme music isn't too bad, but uh, I, I hated his in-ring work. It was just everything about it. And part of it is just it, uh, I was a mark and it worked on me. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to like I mean that I I was kind of the perfect age to dislike him. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, what's fascinating. This is not in the notes, but it absolutely should be mentioned. What I think really helped him in retrospect, in terms of generating that right kind of heel heat is, you know, WWE uh, during this period generally knew, you know, what would make a good baby face, what would make a good heel, right? Vince had his finger on the pulse of his audience, whether Meltzer liked it or not, you know, he would be grudging. We can see Vince knew his audience. Well, there is one exception to that during kind of this time period. It's the honky talk, man, because if you remember, you know, I, I just started watching the old episodes of Wrestling Challenge they put up on the network, the award-winning WWE network, that is. And Honky was originally brought in as a babyface. And it flopped really, really bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, they even had Hogan during his very first match on Challenge say, all right, all you Hulkamaniacs, the Hulk approves of this guy, and I think he's going to be great. I mean, that's, you know, theoretically a seal of approval for a babyface that Hogan's putting him over. But... The crowd really shit on it. And that is rare for that era of WWF. Like if somebody was, if they're like, hey, this guy's a fan favorite. He's going to slap your hands. He likes you fans. Fans would go along with it generally, right? But Honky Talk Man was the one baby face that I can think of from that period that was rejected. There's a house show match where he wrestles Mr. X, which is Danny Davis in a mask. 
before Danny Davis, you know, becomes a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And it's in Toronto, I want to say, and the crowd fucking shits all over hockey. I mean, it's not like Roman Reigns from a few years ago, but it might as well have been for like that era of the WWF crowd. Yeah. I mean, they are unmerciful just booing this guy. And they ran with it. They did that fa- they did that vote of confidence thing on TV where Honky's like, I want to see if the fans really like me. And they ran a worked poll where like 86% of fans said they hated the hockey talk. Man, they turned him heel. They ran with it and it worked for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Like I've, I've kind of thought about this in my head of why, why they didn't cheer him, you know, like Vince thought. So, cause they're doing the Elvis gimmick. Vince has, is a pretty big Elvis fan. I've heard a lot of those guys were in that era cause they grew up on Elvis. Um, but I know even from like when I was a kid, the 80s and the period like right after his death it was like kind of a hard period to be an elvis fan because that's when like all the stuff about his drug use started to come out and people used to like make fun of elvis in the 80s a lot so i don't know if it was you know pushed back because oh you're not the real elvis so we don't like you or or it was pushed back because we don't like elvis anymore or, like a little bit of of both of that um but i liked well, elvis and i didn't like the honky talk and, and to justin's point he wasn't good i mean he was like if you watch that you know obviously you're watching it with the knowledge of what happens, but you're, it's really telling you're like, you really thought this was going to get over as a baby face. Right. I mean, he was trying, he was, he was like trying too hard. You could tell too. And that made it worse where like, I think he knew it wasn't working like Mm -hmm. right off the rip. And, but like I said, they course corrected pretty quickly. I mean, he was only a baby face for like two months on television. Yeah. So they figured it out. And, and, you know, as we're about to get into, in the build to this match with Randy Savage, he gets a really lucky break in the middle of 1987. Yeah. You know, as I think about this in my head, maybe, maybe some of that pushback was, the, was the crowd defending the real Elvis because oh, here we go. I heard it all now. <laughs> no, and here's, here's why, because obviously like the honky talk man is kind of making fun of Elvis, right? Like he's doing the parody, but like he would always say like move over Elvis. Like that's in the theme song, right? Like I'm better than Elvis. I sing the song better than Elvis ever did. So maybe, Maybe it's a defense of the king. Well, that came after, I think, because <laughs> that came after, like, I mean, when he really went over the top. Because when he first turned heel, he did do this thing where, uh, yeah, he's like, you know, I'm just so much. But that was after the heel turn when he was with Jimmy Hart. I know. Yeah. Who could forget at WrestleMania three when he cuts that promo saying, "No one wants to listen to that nightmare music by Alice Cooper." Ninety thousand <laughs> people came here to see me. <laughs> yeah. Well. I don't want to make this an Elvis Presley podcast, but there's a story about the real Elvis and Alice Cooper. I don't know if you ever heard that story or not. I did uh, not. Yeah, so Alice Cooper visited Elvis in Vegas one time in the like early 70s when Alice Cooper was just coming up. And he went up to Elvis's suite at the Hilton to meet him. And as he went up there with, uh, who was it? It was like a famous porn star from the early 70s. I can't remember. I like this name. story. Yeah, so they're all going up to Elvis's suite. It's like all celebrities and stuff. And uh, they go in there, and Elvis calls over Alice Cooper, and he hands him a gun. And he says, I want to show you something. Hold the gun to my head. And it's a loaded gun. And Alice Cooper's told a story where he's thinking in his head, like, should I kill him? I'd be the guy that killed Elvis Presley. What should I do? (laughs) And as he was thinking about doing it, Elvis, like, did his karate move and took him down to the ground and, like, took the gun away from him. And, like, I don't know. It's, pr- it's a pretty funny story to imagine Alice Cooper holding a loaded pistol at the real Elvis Presley's head. And then Elvis takes him down on the ground in his suite at the hill. 
my god <laughs> elvis was a nut he was and, pretty crazy by that period. And I thought Bruce Pritchard's story about Vince McMahon and smoking <laughs> on airplanes was going to be the best story we retold tonight. Oh, my goodness. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born All right, last up. thing. So... Last thing about Elvis here, because this is my time to, I guess, tell the Elvis stories. As uh, Honky Tonk's coming out, they mention that this is the very venue, Market Square Arena, where the real Elvis Presley had his last concert ever, which is true, June 26, 1977. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. I did um, not. Heading into the show. But famously, he had his last concert there. And I I told you off air, Kyle, I was going to tell a story about that. So, um. When my wife and I first got together, there was something on Facebook uh, about that. And I had commented about, oh, yeah, Elvis's last concert in Indianapolis. And her uncle jumped into the conversation and replied to my comment. And he was like, um, actually, that wasn't Elvis's last concert. Uh, I was at Elvis's last concert. It was in the summer right before he died. He did a makeup show down in Florida. And I was like, why is number one? Why is this guy lying about this? Number two, should I correct him? Because I like I obviously know the real story. And I was like, I'm gonna correct him. So I replied, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, no. Here's a picture of the marker. Like, there's a plaque at the site of Market Square Arena that says Elvis Presley's last concert was here. And he replies, that's wrong. <laughs> Fake news. And I was like, dude, it's not wrong. Like, this is it's pretty famous. And he blocked me on Facebook, and I'm still blocked to this day. Had to throw that. Worth it. It was worth it. (laughs) Had to do the fact check. Oh, so anyways, they go backstage to Randy Savage, and he gives this promo where, as he starts, you can barely hear him. So WWF at that time they weren't doing a lot of live shows, right? So to mix the live crowd and the theme song is blaring, Honky Tonk Man's. Within the back, you know, there's some bleed over going on from the from the crowd to, you know, out in the arena to backstage where Randy Savage is. You can't hear him at all at the beginning. And then he starts talking and then you can kind of hear him. But the theme song is like way too loud and it's it's pretty rough. But honestly, like watching it, it makes it feel a little bit more exciting because you're hearing what's going on in the crowd. Um, any thoughts on this promo that Savage gives here? Not much. And, you know, to your point about being live, I mean, other than the three manias and Survivor Series, they probably had done nothing live. Yeah, true. Yeah, because the Saturday night's main events were all taped. So, yes. Yeah. So I, the thing I noted was that Randy is like purple when he's giving this. Pro- like, I'm wearing a purple sweatshirt. <laughs> he is like so red. He is almost purple. And um, I think that this was probably filmed not right before he, he went out, but like a different day, maybe after he wrestled or something, because he's like out of breath. He's really sweaty. It's very purple, but uh, here we go. So they come out. They have the match. Like I said, just enormous crowd response. Well, should we, we kind of set, set the stage here for like yes. you know why the oh the icy title and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So I alluded to it a little bit ago that about the honky talk man getting a huge break. Right, he comes in. He's a shitty baby face. They course crack. They turn him heel. He's getting some heat. He gets the win over Jake Roberts at WrestleMania three, which was. You know, which would if had there been an internet back then, I'm sure there would have been a lot of debate about that. But on the uh, June 13th episode of Superstars of Wrestling, match actually took place on June 2nd. 
Hulk Tuckman wins the Intercontinental title from Ricky Steamboat, a move that was necessitated by Steamboat wanting to take time off due to the birth of his first child. Um, you know, him wanting to take time off and being the Intercontinental champion that did not jive in this era. Uh, so they had to take the title off him pronto. And the decision to go with Hulk Tuckman, obviously because of that, they were not planning on Steamboat taking time off. Somewhat spur of the moment, obviously. And Hulk Tuckman is... A Hogan favorite. I think we all know it. Hogan is the one who was responsible for getting him into the promotion, for those who don't know. But the way the Honky Tonk Man tells his story, if you've heard it, it is a bit of a tall tale. Like, he makes it out like Vince and Hogan are, like, in this hallway. Like, you know, my God, what are we going to do about the Intercontinental title? And Honky Tonk Man just, like, saunters by, minding his P's and Q's. And Hulk's like, what about him? I, I seriously doubt it went down like that. <laughs> um we know, and Meltzer talked about this again in the most recent Observer that Butch Reed, rest in peace, by the way, uh, was considered to be a future Intercontinental Champion at one point in 87. Um, but Steamboat was expected of a long reign, so that's something that I, I don't think they were planning on in June, certainly. Uh, Reed had missed some dates, too, around this period and was getting the rep of being unreliable. And this is really key. If you're someone who does not like the hockey talk, man, it's like, how could they have gone with this guy? If you look at the WWF roster in the early summer of 1987, this is pre-Rick Root arrival, pre-Ted DiBiase arrival. There were saw, not a lot of options. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, I mean, it was literally just over a month before Rick Root would appear, which would have been a, a much better intercontinental champion. Uh, we would have gotten, you know, maybe a brief, uh, rude steamboat feud before their classic feud in WCW in 91, 92. That's true. Although, rude, yeah. rude was much better then though, as you know, Justin in WCW. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. At this Absolutely. Point. But you know, they did. I mean, you look at that roster mid card heels, early summer of 87, June of 87 guys who had went over at WrestleMania three. It was the honky talk man, Harley race who already had the King gimmick. Uh, Bundy was somewhat protected, but he's not a guy you're going to put the Intercontinental title on. And Hercules. Hmm. And Butch Reed. That's basically the list. And they went with Honky, and he was originally not supposed to have a long reign. He was going to drop it to Jake Roberts, but Roberts failed a cocaine test around that time period. This is when they started testing uh, for cocaine in the wake of the uh, Jim Duggan Iron Sheik arrest debacle, which is one of my favorite things in the history of this promotion. <laughs> Still, I please, if, if someone could confirm that they were doing lines off the two by four, please do that. That's <laughs> all I want. I've said it before and I'm going to say it a hundred times. Um, and lo and behold, Honky kind of starts getting over more than expected in this role. And he starts referring to himself as the quote, greatest intercontinental champion of all time, which drew the right kind of heat, in my opinion, because even the unrefined 1987 WWF audience, if you want to be mean or cruel, if you will, Ryan, see what I did there, um, <laughs> kind of understood that this guy's no good. What's he talking about? He's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And he just won it. And it draws the ire of Randy Savage, who, in my opinion, was the greatest intercontinental champion of all time the previous well, year. Lost at the Steam. And not only that, but coming off of uh, the WrestleMania three match, one of arguably one of the greatest in-ring matches of all time between Savage and Steamboat. Then you have 
Honky, who is not all that great. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a really funny thing to say. Like it's uh, at that period. And you get this like de facto baby face turn from Randy Savage because he starts uh, getting pissed off that Honky Talk Man saying it on TV. And the fans were ready to cheer for Randy Savage by the summer of 1987. You go back to the WrestleMania three match. When he gets introduced, he gets cheers. Jesse Ventura notes it. There's a house show match with Steamboat um, right after WrestleMania where he's getting cheered pretty good. I believe it's in Detroit, as a matter of fact, about a month or two later. So the fans were ready to cheer for Randy Savage. That's key. Um, And then you add an additional layer to the storyline with the match that occurs on the October 87 Saturday Night's Main Event. We've all seen it a million times. Honky shoves Elizabeth down, hits Savage with the guitar. Hulk Hogan makes the save forming the mega powers. Uh, and it should be stated for the record, say what you will about the hockey talk, man. This feud with Randy Savage did draw well at the house. It sold out MSG in both September and December. Hmm. Yeah. Good history lesson there for sure. Um, another another thing we should mention too is, is Honky has uh, Peggy Sue out there at ringside. <laughs> AKA Sherry Martell. And she plays that role very well, I think. The dancing in the ring and looking like she's from the fifties and everything. And which doesn't really make sense because Honky played the nineteen seventies Elvis, but you know, whatever. It, it also doesn't make sense because the story of this feud and specifically match is that Honky Talk Man wants Elizabeth, but he has a girlfriend. Yeah. So my only guess is that he is into threesomes. Well, I mean he's <laughs> a heel. He did, well, I mean, well, makes him a baby that, face in the modern yeah, sense, yeah. but I mean, there you go. Um, she had okay. debuted about two months earlier, the Peggy Sue character. I actually looked that up before the show because I was like, is this her first appearance? Because they, they made it a special note that they're like, the girlfriend of the hunky talk man, Peggy Sue. Yeah, she doesn't come out with him down the aisle. It's just him and Jimmy Hart. But then like once he gets in the ring, she runs out. And joins them and they dance while the theme song is going and stuff. Sherry was still the women's champion at this point, but there really was no women's division in 1988. I know they had the elimination match uh, at the Survivor Series, but after that, I mean, the division's almost non-existent. Yeah. Um, another thing with the history here is is the belt that he's wearing. This is not the only time I'm going to mention belts tonight, but um, mm. we talked about on the pod before how the original Reggie Parks Intercontinental Championship had the red WWF logo on it, and Randy Savage destroyed that belt uh, because he used to polish it with Brasso polish, which took off uh, the gold <laughs> from the belt. If you watch Randy Savage's Intercontinental title reign, I think we talked about this on our Saturday Night's Main Event Classics. Um, like you can see it's kind of dull and it's like, it's turning from like gold to more silver. You can definitely notice, And that's because Savage polished it with that, uh, that, that Brasso polish, which was like removing the gold from it. So they changed it out. And now you have honky with the, it doesn't have the gold W or the uh, red WWF low. It's just gold. Uh, and the globe on it is like a light blue. There's at least three versions. Like there might be more. I know there's at least three versions of that title. There's the red WWF logo on the original. There's this one with the light blue on the globe. And then the one they use all through the 90s looked just like it, except for the blue on the globe was like a darker blue. I feel if you look up photos of it. But uh, yeah, they had they had made the switch now thanks to Randy's polishing of the old belt. Oh, wait a minute.
And as, as this match gets underway, I wrote in my notes, it just it feels enormous. Again, this crowd is hot. Everything that they do, they explode for. Savage starts out on offense, but then Honky works most of the match on top. And you have uh, Savage fighting from underneath. Uh, a lot of times what happens throughout the match is Honky Tonk Man will go over and like dance for Elizabeth to distract the referee. And when that's happening, Jimmy Hart will attack Randy Savage you know, for, on the ring apron. Um, but what, what did you guys make of the match? Because Meltzer is really harsh on this match. In yeah, the Observer. Oh, I'm actually looking for the quote because I was kind of in tears when I read this. Do, do, do. He says at the end, I'll give the whole thing two stars only because of the post-match stuff, which we'll get to. Oh. Match was no better than one and a quarter stars. I disagree. I think you're not looking for a super athletic match here with Honky Tonk Man, but I think they laid it out perfectly for what they were wanting to do. I wouldn't call this a one and a quarter star match. All right, here's Meltzer's exact line. The script called for several instances where Randy had to lay on his back so Honky could, quote, serenade Elizabeth. Yeah. So you can't fault Randy for the bad match since he was limited by the framework of it. <laughs> I mean, well, what does Dave think? Does he think they're going to go out there and have, you know, Savage Steamboat 2 or something? Like, that? God. they're never going to have that kind of <laughs> style of match. This is what nope. they needed to do. Nope. I don't know. I, I just thought this was when I was reading through the review. This is where, like, okay, he's... <laughs> is a little harsh on this. He doesn't like yeah. I mean, if you think Dave was har- is harsh today on the WF, yeah, you need to go back and check this <laughs> stuff out. Um, yeah, you were right about the crowd being hot throughout, especially for the sleeper. I mean, my God, what? Yeah, I, I'm, did not use many sleeper holds. Yeah, I made that same note. I, I was shocked by the reaction when he got that uh, sleeper hold on, which Probably. maybe it was, right. He just got done knocking Jimmy out of the ring too, so that maybe added to it. And, and you. You know, the key with the honky talk man and why he was able to actually draw much better than you'd think is people, meaning the fans, very much bought that there would be a title change most of the times. Like, oh my God, the baby face has got to beat this shpamool. And, you know, I think that the crowd, and we're going to talk about this later on in the show, that maybe they should have expected a title change, that urban legend. But, I, you know, he's got him in the sleeper. I think they're smelling title change. Yeah. Which is what you want in a championship match, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, I mean, all three matches on this show are championship matches. You've got the, uh, the IC title here, the WWF world title, and then the tag team title match at the end, which we're going to get to. Uh, so in the end, what we get is a countout victory for Randy Savage. So on the outside, you've got Sherry, Peggy Sue, uh, and Liz almost getting into a fight. You know, they're coming after Miss Elizabeth. Savage runs out there, prevents it from happening. Savage was um, winning the match at this point. Uh, He ends up brawling with the honky-tonk man on the outside. He throws honky into the ring post, then gets in the ring and wins by countout. So no title change, countout victory for the Macho Man. I'm always kind of shocked when they do these kinds of victories where like, they play it off like Savage looks like he won the title. Like, he thinks he's going to win the title. He does, like, the belt thing around his waist. Like, dude, come on. How do you not know the rules? <laughs> yeah. the title on a count out. What's going on? Can I, can I put on my nerdy uh, Captain Nitpick hat for a second? Go right ahead. I rewound it, like, five times. Honky was only out of the ring for, like, five or six seconds. <laughs> it, it, it's my buddy, very quick when Macho gets in, yeah. Yeah, my buddy noticed that, too. He's like, that was a really fast count out. Like, I don't, really I don't think... I don't think the ref like restarted the count when honky went out there. He just like, he said, fuck it. I'm counting to 10 no matter what. Yeah. When he counts 10, I thought he was counting five. 
uh, when I was watching yeah. it. I thought there was five more seconds, and then he calls it, and that's it. Yeah, I, you know, you talk about like baby faces thinking they've got the title one with this, and how silly it looks. Of course, the worst instance of that would be like Lex Luger at SummerSlam '93, how they like yeah. dropped all the balloons for him, <laughs> and how the baby face come prayed him around, even though he like doesn't win the title. Yeah, it, it makes the baby face look like such an oaf when they do that. <laughs> like, dude, you don't know the basic rules of title matches. What's going on? Yeah. So after the match, um, Savage ends up getting hit by Jimmy Hart's megaphone. And then Honky Tonk Man goes to get the guitar, right? He's going to take out Savage again with the guitar, um, like previously mentioned. And then, but um, Miss Elizabeth stops it. So she gets ah. in the ring and she shields Macho Man. Like Honky turns around. He's about to swing that guitar, but Liz is there and he stops. Uh, eventually what happens then is Savage comes back, attacks Honky Tonk Man, takes the guitar away from him and smashes the guitar on the ring post. As the segment ends, what do you guys think of the well, the post match shenanigans? Um, the one thing I wanted to point out because in the moment I was like, "Why is the crowd erupting for this?" When uh, Savage Savage opened the ropes for Miss Elizabeth to step back into the ring, and like I, I get, I had just completely forgot where I was in time, and it was because well, she always had to do that for him, and we're seeing that meteoric uh, baby face rise of macho man it's it's really cool to watch and the yeah. crowd freaking loved it they ate it up the crowd did always go crazy for that like remember when they reunite it i just thought of this when you were talking about that at mania 7 he does the exact same thing and people are fucking weeping in the audience <laughs> weeping yeah she goes to open the ropes for him at mania 7 then he calls her off and then he does it and they go nuts yes. yeah yeah <laughs> yep so that's the, the end great of the great dynamic right man. now <laughs> There's a tear streaming down Justin's che- cheek right Love now. It. So that this moves then backstage with uh, Andre, Virgil, and Ted DiBiase, and there's a promo before the big the big rematch. They also showed a uh, I can't remember if it was before or after this. They show kind of a recap about what happened. At yeah, the you, you know, I will. I want me to just blow through this right now. Most people probably know the history between these two, but it might be a good point to do that before we get to the match. Just mm-hmm. obviously, you know, they have the most famous match ever at Mania Three. Won by Hulk Hogan, obviously. Uh, but towards the beginning of the match, and this was the key throughout 1987, uh, to hype the need and desire for a rematch, they do this spot where there's a controversial near fall where it looks like Joey Morella might have counted three. It's really, it's just a near fall today. It's He didn't do it. But that was used by Andre and Heenan in the aftermath to demand a rematch. Yeah, Jesse Ventura, even during the match with the, was that two or was that three? Uh, Andre does not wrestle again until the Survivor Series. His back was really fucked at this point, and he was not in great shape, something that Dave uh, goes into tremendous detail in the Observer here about Andre's condition. Uh, he wins the main event at Survivor Series. He is the sole survivor, further strengthening that need for a rematch. And maybe I'll stop here because we have not mentioned a very key player yet, and I know he's in that interview. Hey, I'm sorry. This might be bad timing. Want to tell the story about Honky Tonk Man in the Intercontinental title and defending it? No, I think we should do that at the end. Okay, okay. Sorry, I think sorry, we should sorry. do that at the end when it's all the big piece. Yeah, I think we should do I that just, at the I, end. I wanted to make sure we didn't miss yeah, it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, so this backstage promo, we've got Andre the Giant, Virgil, and Ted DiBiase. Uh, it's it's mostly Ted DiBiase talking. Andre talks a little bit at the end about how he's going to squeeze Hogan's neck. 
Um, I mean, the line I took away from this, again, a lot of this is probably scripted by NBC, is he says, Hulk Hogan, your account is overdrawn and Andre is going to close it. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of uh, bank uh, puns in this here. So, okay, enter Ted DiBiase because he is very much what makes this rematch, um, I don't want to say fresh, but he adds a new layer dimension of heat to the rematch. Um, I don't always love something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, but maybe the best episode they ever did was the one on Ted DiBiase. And there's a lot of great stories about how they brought DiBiase in. If you want to hear it, you can listen to that podcast. I'll talk about a few things here. But for my money, see what I did there? Uh, I think this was probably the greatest introduction of any character in the history of the WWF with those vignettes and the skits of him humiliating fans. Mm -hmm. Um, He was so over as a heel before he even wrestled a match, which is very impressive to do. And, you know, there's the story and Ted confirms it in his book and, and Bruce confirmed it too, that the way that they got Ted to sign was they did not... They wanted to keep this character super secret there, but Ted was told if Vince McMahon ever put on the tights, this is the gimmick he would use. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Ted's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. And they told him and basically his eyes bulge out of his head. And he's like, oh my God, like, this is really awesome. And, you know, Bruce Pritchard tells this great story on something to wrestle about the, everybody's got a price and it revolves him and Vince are on a flight and the guy behind him, them, starts smoking. Okay, first of all, if you've ever smoked on an airplane, you're an asshole. <laughs> Let's be very clear about that, okay? I know it was a different time, but that, like, I love when they still say, this is a non-smoking aircraft. It's like, if somebody lit up a cigarette in this plane, I would knock them out. Yeah. But anyway, the guy behind them uh, starts smoking. And Vince, if you don't know, like, hates cigarette smoking. So that's one good thing about Vince McMahon, certainly. And Vince turns around and goes, this is in first class. Um, There was a smoking row and a non-smoking row. And Vince is like, I'll give you $100 if you put that cigarette out. And the guy's like, no. Vince is like, I'll give you $200. And the guy's like, no, man, I'm just enjoying the cigarette. Leave me alone. And it keeps escalating. And Vince is like, I'll give you $500 if you put that cigarette out right now. And the guy's like, "Uh." and Vince is like, fine. How much did you pay for your flight? I will pay for your plane ticket and give you $500. Just put the cigarette out. And the guy's like, okay. Puts it out. And he looks at Bruce and goes, everybody's got a price. And Bruce is like, wow. To me, that's the highlight of the Something to Wrestle series, that story. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> like, what a flex that is. And apparently Vince, like just like DiBiase, was just counting out the dollar bills. Like, I mean, he's straight up just, get, like, just pulls out his pocket just gives them a fistful of hundreds and it's like, just put your damn cigarette out. So I'm sure everyone else around him uh, was really happy about that too. But DiBiase interjects his way into getting back to WF television, interjects himself into the storyline by stating he wants to buy the WWF title. I want to buy the WF title. Lock, stock, and barrel. Craig DeGeorge was aghast during this interview. Uh, Hogan gives his famous retort. I'm sure you guys remember this where he like, takes the belt off his waist and he holds it out. And he's like, I've got to tell all the Hulkamaniacs 
and the million dollar man. Hell no. <laughs> like Craig Church looks so happy. Like he was buying, like, oh my God, Hogan's gonna give him the title. And he like yeah. looks, if you look at Craig to George's face that interview, he's like so happy that Hogan said hell no. Um, so this leads to DiBiase purchasing Andre's contract from Bobby Heenan with the stated purpose that Andre would beat Hogan to get the title for DiBiase. Yes. Uh, on the on the something to wrestle where they review this show, they talk a little bit about how um, DiBiase would carry like the wad of hundreds around everywhere with him because they wanted to make sure he actually lived the gimmick that he would he would never be in a situation where he couldn't afford something because that would be bad luck for kayfabe. So yeah. like he was given literally that roll of hundreds by Vince so that he could always afford everything no matter what, <laughs> which is pretty amazing too. But yeah, he wanted to buy the belts here, which is uh, that was, what a memorable. deal that dude, yeah. you talk about being handed the gimmick of a lifetime. Like hey, here, here's our petty cash drawer, Ted. Yeah, <laughs> as you want. And of course, it was you know who knows how much of that was used on cocaine. <laughs> So, you know, as we talked about again, obviously, no spoiler, everyone knows that this is a match where Hogan loses the belt, and he had won it from Iron Sheik back on January 23rd of 84, which was just six days after I was born. So at this point in time, I am four years old, and Hogan's been the WWF champion for all but six days of my life. 1,474 days in that reign, which is second longest reign in company history, only behind... Bruno San Martino in the 1960s, who held the title for 2,803 days. Uh, I think we're not I, getting reigns that long again, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you throw like this four-year-long reign, then you think about the other times Hogan had the title. You know, he held the, the WWF title five times in that initial run. Again, later on in 2002. Let's not I, talk about that. I was thinking about it in my <laughs> head though, and it's like. I'm 37 years old, and if you do the math, you add up all those title reigns, largely because of that four-year reign. Like even to this day, Hogan's been WWF slash WWE World Champion for what, like one sixth of my life or something. <laughs> it's like well, pretty. It's pretty yeah, amazing. That's one way to look at it. And, yeah. and you know, with this run, you know, people are like, "Wow, is there ever a time that maybe he should have lost it before?" And I don't think there is. Like, really, the only other time I could come up with is. Maybe you have him lose it and regain it at WrestleMania 2. But, like, that's just a thing where you're trying to, like, get it. Well, not necessarily to Bundy, but maybe to somebody else. But, like, you're just trying to make WrestleMania 2 maybe a little more memorable. I think in the grand scheme of things, um, it was – this reign was absolutely justified. Mm -hmm. Getting that, like – he was now, the man. Yeah. Now, Andre, now you mentioned Andre and how he hadn't really worked after WrestleMania three. He worked obviously Survivor Series. That was the like Kyle said, that was his only televised match since WrestleMania three. Uh, he worked. I looked up uh, his match history. He did work some house shows during that time, but they were all tag team matches. So I'm guessing he didn't do much. You know, it was just to we, kind of appear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think him and Bundy worked Hogan and Bigelow at the Richfield Coliseum. And like, I really wanted to see that. I think it was actually that more than the survivor series. Cause I was a big bam, bam, Bigelow fan in the fall of 1987. That, that's like, exactly I right. It was December 87. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, God, I want to see that. So that's awesome. Hogan and Bigelow. Cause Bigelow was coming off that good performance at the survivor series. Yeah. So yeah, he worked um, eight matches since mania three before this one, three were dark matches at TV tapings, uh, the survivor series TV match, three WWF house shows, 
and one overseas match for the CWA, which is the Catch Wrestling Association in Germany, um, in December of '87. So I don't know. Maybe he went back to Europe to ver- to you know visit family holiday season in in December of '87. But eight matches in total. Now, after Andre comes out, which features like this pretty cool camera view, or they like walk behind Andre so he looks really big as he's yes, walking to the iconic. ring. We are indeed awaiting the presence of one Andre the Giant. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is for the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. It is scheduled for one fall. Approaching the ring area, escorted by bodyguard Hunter and the million dollar man, Awesome that was a really shot. good idea, whoever came up with that. Yeah. There's a couple shots from this show that they showed years later. Like when they show Andre in the ring and they pan up from his feet like to his head. That clip of him has been shown numerous, like always in the Andre tribute videos that was yes. always shown. Yes. And then they go backstage to Hogan. And here's the other belt talk for you. So Hogan is wearing the belt that they call the Hogan 86 belt is kind of like the nickname for it. And the backstage promo as he's getting ready for the, uh, the match. Now this was clearly taped in advance because Hogan's bandana looks different in the backstage promo to when he comes out. So backstage, he's wearing like a full bandana covers his whole head. And when he comes out for the match, it's more like headband style. There's nothing on the top of his head. And also, he is wearing an entirely different championship belt. This is the debut of probably the most iconic WWF belt of all time. Yeah, I think the greatest world title belt ever, the Winged Eagle, which they had from this show until the night after WrestleMania 14, when uh, Steve Austin came out with it for the last time, and they got the new Big Eagle title belt that they had at the time. But uh, this one... They had promised a new title belt at Mania 3. Remember, like, Andre, the whole thing is like, we're going to have a bigger belt made. And they talk about it a little bit, but it never showed up They made one, too. They made, like, an Andre belt that was bigger. Oh, wow. Yeah, but that wasn't, like, it wasn't used. Yeah. Um, Now, this one that comes out is slightly different than the winged eagle that they would have later. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Um, This one is actually, like, dual-plated gold and nickel. And also, if you look at it really closely where it says heavyweight in like the bottom third of the belt, it's all gold, where later heavyweight would be in black. Um, so like belt nerds, they call this the uh, the WrestleMania 4 belt because this is the belt that then Savage will win at WrestleMania 4. It's a little bit different. There's also like two pyramids on the gold belt tip, which the later Winged Eagle did not have. So it's slightly different. After this... Um, like I said, heavyweight is in, is in black. They usually didn't have the dual-plated belt anymore, and, and the belt tip is just all gold. But this is the debut. I think anyone our age that watched wrestling in the 80s and 90s, like this is their favorite title belt of all time. Probably this or the, the NWA WCW big gold. What would you say, Kyle? What's your favorite world title belt of all time? I don't know. Justin this is definitely the, the be- This is definitely the best WWF belt they ever I think had, so. for sure. I mean, it's so much better than those crummy belts they got now. Yeah. Oh, don't don't you be talking bad about that twenty four seven title? Oh God, the hubcap <laughs> looks like a hubcap or something. It's so bad. Yeah. So Hogan comes out. He's swinging the belt around, and then we. Get- 
shape of his life. Now we have, they make a big point to talk about the referee because Ah. Joey Morella, the son of Gorilla Monsoon, was, was, uh, was refereeing at WrestleMania three, you know, where Andre felt he was robbed. So here we talk about Dave Hebner is the referee, but as we'll we'll find out later, it is not Dave Hebner. No, because Dave had been an established officially was kind of like the number two official, um, There were a lot of other guys around this period, kind of a, but yeah, Joey Morella and Dave Hepner were the two uh, kind of constants that you can remember. There were some guys that Gorilla would name drop, but I'm kind of scrambled to remember their name now. Yeah. So, I mean, the match itself, again, Andre is, is pretty, like his back was shot. He's pretty limited in what he's yeah. doing here. I, I do have to mention one thing. So we're 33 minutes into this 49 minute show and there's been only eight actual minutes of wrestling. The modern fan would have a conniption fit at this. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the match itself, I mean, it's not not something, anything to write home about. But again, like uh, with what you have Andre at this point in his career, they can't do a, a whole lot with him. I think it's fine for what they were trying to do. You're not expecting a five-star classic or anything, but it's, I mean, it's memorable. This is one of the most memorable matches of all time. So, I mean, do, do you guys have anything to add about what you see in the match here? Should we break it down? What stands out for you? anything at all for me it was just kind of a bummer to watch andre like when i was a kid watching this he was still larger than life and i didn't really have an understanding of what was going on in the ring uh but watching it back now it, it, it's kind of sad um especially the part where he tries to do the big boot and falls down after <laughs> yeah. hitting Hogan. Mm-hmm. yeah um to, to your point justin when i was a kid I was like so scared of Andre's chokes and especially the butt drop. Like when he would do that move, when he'd have you like kind of the corner, he just drop down. I was like, Oh my God, that'd be so horrible if he did that to me. Like I, but uh, yeah, he was not in good shape here. Uh, Hulk Hogan's offense, uh, baby face Hulk Hogan, lots of eye rakes. Yep. <laughs> All the heel moves. Yeah. Yes. It, it's funny that he never really like when you watch his repertoire as Hollywood Hogan and WCW, it's really the same move set. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Virgil, uh, I just watched him, uh, make an appearance as a jobber on 1986 wrestling challenges. Luscious Brown did a job to Paul Orndorff mm. on that television uh, a couple of years earlier. That had been, uh, long since forgotten. It was just a one-off. Uh, we get Hulk Hogan doing a Ric Flair trademark spot in this match, getting slammed off the rope, top rope. How many times did Hulk Hogan go off the top rope or climb up there <laughs> in this era? Not many. Did you guys notice when he when that move happens and they show the camera shot where you can see Andre like grabbing him? Looks like he really grabbed Hogan's sack there, like pretty tight. Go back and watch it. Like it looks oh like God. maybe maybe Andre's big paw like really squeezed there and Hogan is screaming in a high-pitched voice as he falls to the mat. You got to watch it, man. I didn't it notice that. Like I'm going to check that back. That's you need good. to go watch it. Yeah. And um, that, believe it or not, was not the first time. Last time, I should say, Hulk Hogan goes up to the ropes. He does a second rope clothesline right yeah. before the finish. I was in tears. Yeah, Overcompensating for Andre, I guess, here. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, like... You know, Andre, tail end of his career, he's very limited mobility, but just a massive star, right? Like, if anyone didn't know Andre the Giant, 
And they knew him from Hollywood at this point because the Princess Bride had come out like four months before this in October of 87, which he obviously was really renowned for that role in in a super popular film yeah, as well. Uh, and, and, you know, it's funny that you said that. Light bulb kind of just went off in my head. It's really the polar opposite of WWE today, right? Like, what do we do now? We just bitch about the creative and how the weekly TV, oh, I'm not really looking forward to this show. And then they overcompensate or they actually have to overcompensate with the in-ring product day of, right? You know, Mm -hmm. we just had this takeover, I think, as a kind of a shining example. 1988 WF was the complete opposite. They did all their work kind of beforehand and really did not have to um, deliver any kind of, you know, (laughs) uh, noted athletic display once you got there. They had talked everyone in. People were hyped up. And and you just didn't need to do that. It was a very different time in wrestling. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't necessarily know if one is better. I mean, it comes down to personal preference. Personally, I like uh, when you do a good job of hype and you wrestle well. <laughs> That's yeah. just me. <laughs> so, yeah, Hogan does hit the leg drop at one point during the match, but the referee is distracted. So, obviously, no pinfall there. I was scrolling through to see what uh, what Uncle Dave had to say about this match again in the Observer. If there's any quotes that I could talk about. about... He talks about the Ric Flair bump. Uh, let's see. As Andre fell, I'm sure Vince probably saw $25 million yes. flying out the window. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he talks about Andre tried the kick to the face. His other foot couldn't support him, and down he went. Yep. Um, the choking holds from from Andre to Hogan, which I think are pretty effective. You know, they don't require him to do much, but they I think visually look good. Andre's just so huge. You know, like my wife walked by as I was watching this and she talked about how big his hands were and his feet. And this guy was enormous. Even as he's kind of slumped over at this point because of his back, he didn't he didn't look to me as big as he looked, you know, earlier in his career. But, uh, I mean, he's still seven feet tall. They announced him as seven feet five, but I think Andre was legit about seven feet. Um, and then we have the finish of the match. And so Andre ends up winning by, quote, pinfall, after he basically gives Hogan like a hip toss, which they call a suplex. <laughs> Maybe he, it's supposed he, to be a suplex. Yeah, he was using this sort of kind of as a finish. You talked about he wasn't wrestling much, but he used this on Bigelow to win the Survivor Series match. That same move. Yeah. So as as he covers after that, uh, the referee, of course, it's Earl Hebner. We later find out, but they're calling Dave Hebner. He starts counting, and Hogan very clearly gets his shoulder up at one. Uh, and but he keeps counting one, two, three. Bell rings. Confusion. You know, Hogan's losing his shit. He's he's confused. Andre and and DiBiase are celebrating. Hogan uh, goes to Hebner, and, he, and he's protesting, and he shakes it off like, nope, the decision's final. Uh, Jesse Ventura says on commentary, this isn't football. We don't go to instant replay. He loved that line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, just a quick, Vince and Jesse, they weren't perfect, but a very effective announce duo where they like, I, I think their personalities did add something to the telecast. And it's really jarring when you compare it to today's announce crew uh, for WWE, if like, you know, any announce crew you want to pick, which basically adds nothing. Yeah. <laughs> all kind of sound the same. Yeah. I just, I wanted to point out my favorite part is uh, Vince screaming regarding the the ref counting three. Uh, I can't believe what a stupid mistake that was. Oh, yeah. He says that a couple of times. Like, what yeah, a and, dumb mistake. And that was very unlike babyface Vince to take <laughs> such a uh, direct tone. Yes. 
but maybe Lady Luck riding on his shoulders here tonight. One headbutt, a second headbutt. Andre spins a holster around. Suplex right on top of him. He's on it. One. We get a two. That's it. We got one. Championship belt, I believe, in his hands. Hulkster's looking down at him. He can't believe it. He's saying it was only two. He's, he can't be giving the title to Andre. He can't be. Hebner counted three. In wrestling, you don't go by instant replays. This ain't football. It's the referee's decision. I can't believe what a stupid mistake that was. That was just... Huh? I can't hey. believe that. The guy's only human, McMahon. No. He's going to present it. He presents it to Andre. Raises his hand. We have a new world champion. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this fight. No. And new world wrestling federation heavyweight champion, Andre the Giant. That can't be. There he is, the new world heavyweight champion. So Hebner goes out and he grabs that new winged eagle uh, title belt and he brings it back into the ring and he awards it to Andre, who they put it over Andre's shoulder and they announce the, the new WWF heavyweight champion, Andre the Giant. Andre has a big smile on his face. And then they go to uh, Gene, I think it's Gene Okerlund interviews yeah. him. And Andre called the, the, the tag team championship two times. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Conrad asked Bruce about it on the show. And uh, he's like, Bruce, do you remember Andre saying that? And Bruce's like, yep. <laughs> Live TV. Uh, and then he says, I surrender the tag team championship <laughs> yeah. to Ted DiBiase. Bruce is like, all we needed to say is I surrender. Yes. That's all he needed to say. And he couldn't do it. The world championship. And now... So he, so he surrenders it, and I'm telling you, man, I don't know. <laughs> very few people have I seen in my life with a bigger smile on their face than Ted DiBiase as that belt goes around his waist. He is just overjoyed. Some of it maybe is him laughing at Andre calling it the tag team title. <laughs> Other is just he's got the belt around his waist. It's a, it's a cool moment for him. And, uh, I, of course, as this is all going on, Vince is furious on commentary, and Hogan is furious in the ring. But... Uh, DiBiase is then for a few days recognized as the WWF champion. Like he appeared at some house shows where they mm -hmm. introduced him as the WWF champion before the title is eventually held up. Um, but him uh, and Andre work Hogan and Bigelow in some tags. Uh, I think there's one at the Boston Garden that's pretty easy to find on YouTube.com. Yeah, you can find some photos of uh, online on Google too of. Yeah. 
of DiBiase walking in the ring wearing the belt. I don't think there were any actual defenses, though. I don't think he ever like worked a singles match where he defended the title. I'm pretty sure that was only tag because it was only like a weekend on the weekend, the next weekend, the the next day on television. They don't talk about the match. Actually, yeah, there's like an embargo on it. Yeah, yeah, on TV. Yeah, because they they talk. But uh, the following weekend, Jack Tunney uh, vacates the title, so it would have only been you know a week, a one weekend loop where he had the title and yeah i don't think there's any like defenses of it i watched a little bit of the prime time from like two weeks later and they opened the broadcast talking about how we can finally talk about it or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah so then we get all of a sudden the other hebner running out to the ring and this is dave hebner the the official that had been working for the wwf so earl hebner had been working for crockett before this and now, you know, for fans moving on through the 90s, it would be Earl that would be the referee we would come to know the most as, you know, being the referee on screen for the next, what, 15, 20 years. Uh, Earl or uh, Dave would move into kind of a backstage role, I believe, after this, um, <laughs> slow, kind of slowly transitioning into that. But they get into this fight in the ring. And you can, if you're familiar with Earl Hebner, you can tell which one's Earl when you're watching this. Uh, longtime fans can kind of tell. But Hogan like grabs both of them and he's like looking back and forth, which is a pretty awesome moment. Like, who's who? <laughs> There's two Dave Hepners in that ring, according to Vince McMahon. <laughs> Wait a minute, they look just alike. They look just alike. The guy on the right's Hepner, isn't it? No, oh, the guy left is Hepner. Wait, though. The, no, the guy on the right is. Wait a minute, the Hulkster's coming over to figure out which the official referee assigned was a man by the name of Dave Hebner. I can't believe we're looking at two Dave Hebners. What's going on here? There's two Dave Hebners. What's going on? The host is trying to find out who the real Dave Hebner is. And eventually Hogan lets him go, and then the Hebner brothers, you know, they start arguing, and then Earl gives Dave a big right hand and <laughs> kicks him out of the ring. And he falls down on the kick, too, showing why they never worked a match. <laughs> and then Hogan, you know, the baby face again, comes over to the official that screwed him over, Earl Hebner. That, that was the one who took the money. Yep, that's the one who took the money. He holds him up. And at this point, they, they go to the entranceway, and you can see, like, Virgil and DiBiase making their way back towards the ring because they got to get in position for this. And Hogan lifts Earl up over his head and walks towards the entranceway and throws. I mean, Earl Hebner takes a hell of a bump here. He fucking kills him it's dead. insane. He overthrows him. He goes over the top of Virgil. Can we talk like, okay, I know Earl Hebner's not like the largest man ever. And Hulk Hogan was obviously very strong in 1980. Like, he chucked an 150-pound man, like, very far. Yes. Like, he just picked this guy up and just, like, just throws him, like, halfway down the aisle. Like you said, he goes right over the top of DBS virtual. I think Earl said he got pretty fucked up by that, which I would imagine seeing is he was thrown really far. <laughs> it's like 15 to 20 feet, at least. You, he throws him. I'd say 15 to 20 feet. You'd be amazed what you can do on steroids and cocaine. <laughs> that is also very true. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And he's also very upset that he lost the WF championship. That, too. <laughs> yeah so i mean that's kind of how the segment ends they go to commercial uh when they come back the heart foundation is already in the ring and strike force is making their entrance 
and Vince says, Mean Gene Okerlund is standing by with Mean Gene. Another another live television mistake. Mean Gene Okerlund is standing by with Mean Gene. And they go back to Hogan, who is like practically in tears over what has just happened. <laughs> He's like, how much did they spend on plastic surgery for this? Apparently never hearing, hearing of uh, identical twins. Uh, how, how much did he pay off the referee? Look at the shoulder, brother. And they showed the replay. Look at the look at the hundred dollar bills flying out of the pocket, brother. And he <laughs> didn't see any of that. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm, He's upset. And I'm sure there's going to be a thorough investigation by the World Wrestling Federation into what happened here tonight. And I know you could not be any more disappointed. How much money did they spend on the plastic surgery, man? I had all bases covered. I had the Hulkamaniacs watching. DiBiase, I had Virgil in his place. Never in my wildest dreams, me, Gene, would I think that I would get ripped off by a penny pension two-timing referee. How much money on the plastic surgery? How much money did he spend to pay the referee off? When I turned around, me, Gene, they were identical. Identical. Hey, look, right, right here, Holt. Here it look is now. Shoulder, brother. Look at the shoulder. The referee is paid off, brother. Look at the $100 bills falling out of this pocket. I know you're disappointed. Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura, back Hulk to you. All right, Hulk Hogan is no question. He, he did do a good job, though, and you don't always see this uh, with babyface champions today, of conveying, like, what the fans were thinking, right? Their hero had been screwed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a kid, I watching this live, you know, Justin, I know you said you watched live. I was, like, stunned. Like, the idea of – we need to really actually hammer this home. The idea of Hulk Hogan losing. Yeah was just unfathomable. You know, we talked about the four-year run, and it's not like he was, like, losing non-title matches like today or doing... He won every time. Hogan must pose. It was the big leg. It was over. Sayonara. There were a few exceptions, not, you know, the big event against Paul Orndorff in Toronto in 86. Uh, that, that's not a pinfall victory. But, you know, for the most part, it was big leg. Hogan wins. And him losing, let alone losing the title, was just stunning. Well, now the, and it was twofold. It, it, it was definitely that, you know, especially to my young brain seeing Hulk Hogan lose, but then directly followed with like the, the evil twin angle, which was, is freaking amazing. It's one of the greatest yeah. wrestling angles of all time. I, it melted my brain. Yeah. Meltzer has a, a, a fun, it's an opening line actually in that observer, right? If you've got it open, he says, uh, quote, all I can say is that I hope whoever came up with that finish got a nice bonus in this week's paycheck. Apparently, it was Vince himself that came up. So, you know, just like today, he he gives himself a raise and nobody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. There's a transition. Yeah, so the the last match here, I guess it it is a tag team championship match. uh, Again, with Strikeforce, who are the tag champs, um, defending against the Hart Foundation. But a real the, blink and you'll miss it a fair. Yeah, they got you see almost none of it. Uh, they ran out of TV time. Hour long broadcast. Uh, the match ended right after they go off the air. I guess as it aired on TV. But if you watch this on the network, you actually do see the finish of the match. So they included it. Uh, but uh, I think what happened was Brett goes for like a sunset flip, 
and it is reversed into a pinfall attempt, and he gets pinned. And they just didn't get it in on time on the live. They were probably told to go home really quickly, and it just didn't quite make the the live broadcast. But you see it on the network, so if you yeah. go back and you watch the show, you will see the finish. Yeah, I, I remember you know having my world shattered with Hulk Hogan losing the title and this going on. I was like, oh my god, no! All the baby faces aren't going to be <laughs> champions because like you know my dad's like, well at least Macho Man won. I'm like, but he's not the champ. You know my dad, an, an idiot baby face, obviously didn't understand the countout rule. But um, yeah, just a, a real blink and you'll miss a thing. Strike Force had beaten the hearts for the titles, obviously, back in October. Uh, they were kind of running on fumes, their title yeah. run at this point, and, and they lose to Demolition, um, you know, at WrestleMania, and the hearts go babyface. Yeah, it was Martel that pinned Brett um, after the sunset flip. That is correct. And that's how it goes off the air. So we're going to talk about some other points here. But uh, again, this is a, it's a very rewatchable show just because. It's entertaining. It's not like the greatest hour of in the ring wrestling you're going to see, but like, I mean, the storylines are great. The excitement is off the charts. I mean, I watched it two times, like I said, in the last few weeks. I could watch it a third time right now, to be honest with you. Can't Uh, wait till superstars tomorrow morning. (laughs) I can't say that about the modern product. Like, there's been very few shows that I've wanted to rewatch in recent years, but this is one of them. I mean, doesn't doesn't this kind of illustrate how an hour show is so much better from a fan perspective than a two hour or three hour weekly television show. Yeah. I mean, this was obviously different. I mean, it's, it's unfair to compare this to weekly TV. I mean, this was a very heavily hyped uh, return to network TV special, but still um, yeah, flies by and it leaves you wanting more. And I mean, they were hoping that this would build up the excitement for WrestleMania four in Atlantic city. You know, wah, wah, uh, just a couple wah. of months later. And uh, so, Kyle, you, you have a lot in your notes here about, you know, the booking of DiBiase, the booking of Savage. There's been, like, differing stories about what was actually planned. Uh, do we want to go into this a little bit here? Yeah. So I think a lot of people know this. This, for me, was the first kind of urban legend I uncovered when I became an online wrestling fan. This was not something I would have known at the time. I was not a newsletter reader uh, pre-going online. But there's a long-standing rumor that the honky-tonk man uh, was supposed to drop the Intercontinental title to Savage on the show. Now, he himself, in his shoot interviews, has talked about this. And he said, he confirmed another part, that he threatened to go on Crockett TV with the belt uh, if he was not allowed to keep it. Bruce Pritchard on his podcast, we've referenced this several times. I think it's a great way to kind of cross reference to get the WWF perspective. You know, Bruce, again, like you alluded to, Ryan sometimes always, you know, likes to tell the company line, maybe sometimes more than tell the whole truth and everything, but, the, you know, and whatever that phrase is, but you get it. Um, he downplayed it. Uh, the idea that the Honk Tim refused a job. Um, what's interesting is how it affected the entire promotion in 1988. So, Teddy Biasi talks about this, I believe, in his book. That, you know, he says, oh, he talks about the whole thing that Honky didn't want to put over Savage at the show. He kept the title. And that Savage was, quote, placated by getting the world title at WrestleMania 4, which was originally intended for him. And Bruce, again, kind of downplayed that. And he said um, on the Teddy Biasi episode, this is, the plan for a tournament at Mania 4 was set in stone before Survivor Series. Now he said now he also said he did not 
learn or he was not told that Savage is going to win it until like right after this show. So um, again, to be clear that this isn't some yahoo on the internet that just pieces together. I mean, Honky Tonk Man and Ted DiBiase, people who lived during this period, both said it. And Conrad asked Bruce Point Blake, was Ted DiBiase promised the world title? And Bruce gives this interesting answer where he's like, well, maybe. But the problem is when you tell a guy, oh, we might put the title on you, what they hear is, I'm getting the title. That was his side of the story that that Ted maybe heard what was an idea and took it as a certainty. So there's some other stuff too. I mean, I guess we could just go off uh, on this when, when, when people kind of like, you know, try to enhance this urban legend. The original WrestleMania 4 bracket was different than the one that we got. They did change it on TV leading up. So people want to pull that out, our listeners, the WrestleMania 4 bracket um, that actually happened. The Savage Rob, or pardon me, the Roberts Rude and the Hogan Andre match were flip flopped in the first bracket they show on television. Bruce incredibly on his podcast said, oh, well, maybe we just showed the wrong bracket. (laughs) Which speaks to the quality control in 1988 WF, which not only spoiled the result of the show, but also spoiled the fact in its own magazine that Savage would be winning the tournament. If you were a subscriber to WF Magazine in 1988, the issue you got um, right before WrestleMania actually said Randy Savage had won. All right, you you, you would have got that sooner. So quality control wasn't that great, maybe, in 1988, WWF. What do we think of... I have a pretty uh, definitive take that I've come up with after listening to all this through the years. What do we think of all this? That Do we think that, like, Honky really held them up, was able to hold them up and keep the title? Um, DiBiase being promised the title? How all this interconnects? What do you guys think of all that stuff? To to me, it's doesn't their stories don't make a lot of sense it sounds like legend building to me um it makes i mean i don't know why they would have put the icy title on savage uh when i you know i believe them that he, at this point he was earmarked for you know winning the title at wrestlemania the other thing i don't get is 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 honky tonk man not under contract like would would he not be able to get sued or anything for going to another promotion? Yeah, that is interesting. The deals were different. That there weren't guaranteed deals, but there were deals per se. It's not like he was working on a per night basis as the Intercontinental Champion for Christ's sake. So you're right, and it's like when you look at it, it's like, well, why you know why was he able to have that position of strength here, and then like when it when he does drop the title, he drops it like he does, like it's nothing. Like, does he just feel like he has no power? Like, th- that never, like, really made sense to me, like, how he was able to pull this big power play at one point, mm-hmm. and then, like, when it came time for him to actually lose, like, he just didn't. I mean, he just... Well, yeah, the, the His argument, I would assume, is this is the biggest show outside of WrestleMania three, you know, with the 33 million audience watching. Yeah. Um, as far as DiBiase goes, especially at this time in WWE a heel going over at a WrestleMania makes zero sense, especially when you have two of the hottest baby faces in company history in Hogan and Savage. Yes. I want to come back to that. I want to just clarify for maybe younger listeners who don't know, or people forgotten or whatever. I think a lot of people know this. 
the reason you just can't go back to Hulk Hogan as champion at WrestleMania four, because, you know, I know Conrad's like, well, why didn't you just do DiBiase Hogan as the main event? You know, you didn't have to do that silly tournament. There's a reason Hulk Hogan was going to take time off to film No Holds Barred. He did not appear between Mania 4 and SummerSlam, I think with the exception of the big Milwaukee show they did, where he worked Andre in a cage, yeah. which is called WrestleFest 88. So they had to put it on someone else. And Justin, I'll throw this to you, Ryan, because I, I think we might make it three for three at this point. There's a lot of ways you can make WrestleMania 4 better. The only way you can make it worse is if you had Ted DiBiase or any heel for that matter win that tournament. Watch WrestleMania 4, folks. Close your eyes and then imagine a heel at the end of that is left safe. That would in Trump's tomb, as Meltzer called it. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, nicknames from that era. That would have been heinous. Yeah, I mean, that early end of the WrestleMania run, WrestleMania 4 to end one of the first four Manias like that, no way. It, it was it was 12 years that we would see a a heel standing tall at the end of a Mania. And, and what heel was that by any chance, the imagination? <laughs> oh, just some guy named Paul. I don't know. Oh, they changed rules for him. That's you know, I got to say... Uh, <sighs> So, like, I, I haven't read all the observers because they're not up on the website. And I wasn't old enough to be reading at all in 1988. But <laughs> You couldn't read in 1988? Oh, I guess I guess you were for. Okay. No, that's I was right. just learning. But, you know, like, it's kind of when you read this, Meltzer doesn't really see Savage in the title picture. And he doesn't really, maybe he was writing about it in other weeks, but he doesn't talk about Hogan taking time off here. And if you think about it just from the perspective, if Hogan's going to be off, and you want to have a babyface champion, like, isn't it pretty much savage that you would foresee coming? Yes. I mean, he was this guy on the rise. He had already had the interaction with Hogan that you mentioned earlier in the show, Kyle, kind of the genesis of the mega powers. So I, it makes sense. I think when you tell that story, to me, I kind of buy the line about you tell a guy they're being considered and they think they're going to win it. I I doubt the title was promised to DiBiase in the midst of Hogan holding it for four years straight with yeah. Mania on the horizon. I mean, they probably had this big angle all set up, and he kind of technically did get the title, right? Yeah. So, I wanted I mean, to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that, that's all I have for that. I was just going to say, I wanted to read the paragraph that Dave has in the Observer here, because it's kind of telling you like, what his thoughts were at the time, and he he kind of tries to predict what's coming uh, at in August at the first SummerSlam and Mania and everything in between. So... Uh, he talks about, quote, the next day on Titan Cards in Boston, Philadelphia, DiBiase appeared billed as WWF champion. On this weekend's syndicated shows, an announcement will be made, apparently, that the title will be held up. And then he says, I'm not sure of this. It just seems to be working in that direction. Actually, they've got several ways they could go, bearing in mind they have to come up with hot main events, not only for WrestleMania 4, but also to leave something for August 29th, another pay-per-view event. Of course, that would become SummerSlam. He says they could hold the title up, put DiBiase versus Hogan, and then still have an Andre versus Hogan match for August. They could make DiBiase the champ, have Hogan win it at WrestleMania and defend against Andre, or have Hogan fail to win it and have to have another rematch in August, at which time he regains it. They could make DiBiase champ and have him decree that Hogan must first beat Andre at WrestleMania before he gets a shot at him in August, most likely, it won't be that complicated. My guess is a title held up, Hogan versus Andre in a cage at WrestleMania 4 with Hogan walking out the door to win. 
So nothing about Randy Savage there. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I found that was kind of interesting, but I mean, obviously it, it, none, none of that came true. <laughs> and you know, well, Bruce talked about what was really interesting. And again, they didn't mention on um, this was the Teddy DiBiase episode. They didn't mention the necessity of, of Hogan, you know, someone else because Hogan's taking time off, but Vince was really like, Oh, I want to do that rubber match with Hogan and Andre. And if you, you know, see all the WrestleMania four press material, that was very much on the headline the Coliseum home video. They were on the cover Hogan and Andre. Um, but yeah, Randy Savage made a lot of sense to get that spot. He and DiBiase drew well in the spring and into the summer. Um, you know, we always kind of think of WWF doing well post WrestleMania, that being like a hot time. Well, now I guess they cool off, but for many years, you know, they would do, go over to Europe and they do big business right after mania. Um, you know, during the attitude era business kept on rolling right after mania, it did not have a sharp decline, but in this period, like 86 to 90, there usually was a tailing off of business right after mania. The one exception was Savage and DiBiase in 88. They drew exceptionally well. And a point that I wanted to make, and, and we've talked about happy accidents before on this show with WWF. Like in, in 97, they seem to happen a lot, right? Sean loses his smile, fucks up the WrestleMania main event. Well, what happens? Brett and Steve Austin wind up having the greatest match in company history. Steve Austin goes on to be the biggest draw of all time. I think the way everything actually happened in 1988 was for the best. Like yeah. when he like sat like you know all right they do this they declare the title Savage wins it in a tournament um as far as the tournament goes and Randy Savage winning it at Mania Four I have thought long and hard for many many years as you guys know I would waste time doing this about all right how could you make WrestleMania Four better and I can't come up with a better idea if you want to have to put the title on Savage I can't come up with a better idea than a tournament. I know. Oh, you do? You got to get Tugboat involved. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not a title program. was not a title program at WrestleMania 7, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, but no, because, you know, for some reason, I think we've talked about this on the show, but like um, Savage's title run, which is, is very good, it, it, they always hyped the fact one four matches in one night at WrestleMania. No one's ever done that undisputed champion that was like a really central theme of him being the champion so you know yeah all the matches sucked it's a really bad show trump's tomb uh one of the worst medias ever but uh and it actually didn't draw well uh which is a point i wanted to make right you kind of uh led into this a, a few moments ago but while this show pops the huge rating mania four does a smaller buy rate than mania three um i think it did a few more buys no closed circuit. Mania 3, this is not talked about enough, does more closed circuit than Mania 1, for the record. Um, so Mania 4 is like a disappointment, which is kind of interesting coming off this widely viewed show and what we all think is a great angle. Uh, my my only takeaway from that is tournaments just don't draw. Yeah, that's interesting because like as a kid, I remember renting the video of WrestleMania four and being like super captivated by the fact that they had a had a tournament. But the numbers, you know, they don't bear it out. Like you said, it was a six point five buy rate for WrestleMania four. I'll be honest. I loved WrestleMania four as a kid because, you know, now we're all, you know, married, kids, jobs, lot to do, you know, 
But when you're, you know, four, seven years old or seven years old, a four hour wrestling show is a great excuse to like, you know, not do it. You think, oh, show's still on. Sorry. <laughs> just when it's over. Yeah. I'm curious. Like, I'm just try- trying to wrap my head around like why the tournament wouldn't draw. And specifically in this case, is because there wasn't very many viable options. Like, kind of everybody knew there is you know, three, four guys that even had a chance. But even, but even then you're thinking, I mean, these guys are red hot right now. So you think people would want to see them win that tournament. Yeah. yeah that's a, a really good point. And what I was thinking when I was exploring that um, kind of issue was, you know, this Hogan Andre rematch had been so well built up over the course of 11 months. And then you come right back with number three, two months later. Maybe it was kind of like, oh my God, you hyped that so much and it had this, you know, kind of uh, screw job finish and now we've got to pay to see the third one. I I, I don't know if, if that was it. No, or not. That makes that actually makes a lot of sense, especially if, if you look at what they did in the ring. It's like, yeah, I mean, we've seen them body slam them. I mean, what else is yeah. there? Yeah, it's kind of like, well, Hulk will definitely win and then he doesn't and then whatever, but um yeah, I, I just, you compare it to the following year, you know, a lot of people, you know, poo-pooed uh, the fall off in the rating when they did Mega Powers Twin Towers in 89. Maybe we could talk about the show next that show next year. Um, that show did, I think, like 18 million on NBC. So, you know, just a little bit more than half. However, the Mania 5 buy rate is tremendous. And uh, the number of buys uh, was not beaten uh, until Austin and Rock did it. 10 years later at 15, which tells me, okay, yeah, fewer people watch that show, but the angle was far more effective. Mania 5 did 767,000 buys, according to the source I'm on right now, which, yeah, you're right, not until 99, 800,000. So, yeah. Three and four were both in the 400,000 range. 400,000, 485,000. Of course, by 88, more people had capability to get pay-per-view. You know, what's truly amazing, you know, I know there's always so much hand-wringing about the attendance figure at WrestleMania 3. I mentioned earlier that it does more in closed caption, or closed caption, uh, closed circuit (laughs) than uh, WrestleMania 1 did. A lot of people don't realize that. That's, but, you know, 400-something plus thousand that it did on pay-per-view there were only 3 million homes in 1987 wired for pay-per-view. So it's like almost one out of every eight homes wired for pay-per-view hmm. watch that show. That's crazy. So, I mean, you know, that to me has always been like the most impressive number uh, yeah. when it comes to WrestleMania 3. I wonder how many people had it by 88. Because it did do more total buys in 88 than 87. But like, I assume the pay-per-view universe... Just even in that year, because cable television was growing so much, was probably like a lot more vast. And like Tyson Spinks was uh, like the biggest thing ever. And I think that was 1988, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me check. Hold it quick. Tyson Spinks was June 88. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anything else we wanted to address? No, actually. I think we hit it all. That was, yeah. uh, I mean, like we said at the top, we were looking forward to this, and uh, I think it paid off, man. I'm. This makes me like want to watch the television from the era now. Maybe I yeah, will. Same. Yeah. So Hulk hey, Hogan is not the WWF champion. Andre the Giant is not 
the WWF champion. The million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, is not the WWF champion. I remember watching that segment live and being like so gripped to the words of Jack Cuddy. <laughs> and I was like, but who is? And then, like, you know, to your point, like all three of us, we kind of like tournaments. And then they just show this bracket and your mind is blown. You're like, my God, they're all alive. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, hey. Patrons, again, thank you for the support. We do these extended broadcasts every month for you guys, and we really, really appreciate that you are contributing to the growth of Top Rope Nation and making these shows possible. We will be having another poll for March for our next Top Rope Nation Classic, so make sure you vote in the poll. Um, If you are a member of the $10 tier on Patreon, you can suggest a show for that poll. We'll put it in there. Everyone can vote. $10 patrons can suggest the shows for the poll so uh we'll be doing that maybe there'll be a wrestlemania tie-in we'll see what happens but uh that's all we got tonight so um if you are listening to this this week as we record it uh we will be back on sunday night with a brand new show looking at 2021 uh wwe elimination chamber we'll be doing the post show live on the youtube channel and then of course that will hit the uh the podcasting feeds right (laughs) after that and, of course, that show will be fun because Justin Joyant will get excited for 30 minutes about Cesaro and then have his hopes and dreams dashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm preparing oh, my heart. I'm preparing my heart. So he's the betting favorite to win the chamber match right now. I thought for a second Justin was wearing a Cesaro shirt because he saw CE, but it turns out it's Celtics. Yes. Oh, man. All right. Well, maybe you can wear your Cesaro colors on Sunday night, Justin. With that, this has been another edition of Top Rope Nation Classics. We'll see you all next month. Have a good Hogan month. Hogan must pose.